Amen. Amen. Okay. So, I'm talking about God's direction in terms of disaster, um, because this has been the week of the coronavirus, and I have been, Wilma said five, I actually told her five on Friday, but one was last week, so it was, anyway, it's been a lot. There's, um, I've been on Global Evening News, I've been on Morning Show with uh, CTV and Global and CJOB, and um, everybody wants me to talk about how to manage fear, so I had to figure it out. Um, and they particularly were asking me how to talk to kids uh, about fear, how to talk to children, how do you talk to your kids about fear? And, uh, um, and I came up with four points, and then uh, Natasha said, hey, why don't you talk about the coronavirus this week? And then uh, Wilma said, why don't you talk about the coronavirus this week? And, or actually, I think I brought it up, and they were like, yes, yes, you should talk about this. And, uh, and I was realizing that my four points that I made for talking to kids for CGOB and Global were actually a really, you know, um, interesting basis for what to talk to you guys about this, because we're, we're God's kids, right? So how we talk to our kids and how God talks to us about disasters has some similarity. Um, so we'll be talking about that uh, and, and uh, figuring out how God manages disasters with us. So uh, this week, the stock market tanked. I don't know if any of you are investors, uh, and there's feelings that come along with that. It's dropped uh, 11% in one week. It's the worst weekly percentage drop in over a decade. It was 2008 when we had this significant of a drop in one week. And so all of a sudden the world, there was little drops before in China and stuff, Chinese stocks and different places, but now it was like a full stock market uh, reaction to the coronavirus. And one, um, I was reading an article about it, and one commentator said, if you're, if you're going to panic and you're an investor, make sure that you're the first one to panic. Like, just make sure you're the first one off the boat if you're going to sell your stocks. Um, and I thought that made a lot of sense because you don't want to be dragged down with everybody else who's panicking. And it got me thinking about panic uh, in psychology. So in panic, like psychologists will talk about panic. We actually have a description of panic in our uh, manual for disorders. But panic is not a disorder in itself. People panic, and, and people actually pay to panic. I don't know if you know this, but people will pay money to panic. They like panic. You might have even paid to panic. I don't know if you've ever been on a roller coaster. Uh, some of you maybe, maybe in the past, have been to a horror movie or something like that. Um, well, people are paying good money in order to have very strong anxiety reactions. And you can, uh, it's a whole industry on making people panic. And panic is a natural response. It's a healthy response. If you're needing to run fast from a bear or something like that, panic is a very good response. You stop thinking very clearly. It's maybe good not to think too much when you're being chased by a bear. It's better just to have all the blood in your limbs. And um, so if somebody's panicking, that's not a disorder. It is something to describe and it's something to understand, but it's not a disorder. However, if you become afraid of fear, if you become afraid of your panic, and you don't go to the grocery store anymore because you might panic and you don't want to get embarrassed because panicking is kind of embarrassing. Like you kind of turn, I don't know, people have different reactions, but you know, you might turn red, you start to sweat. And if you're doing that at Superstore, it can be embarrassing, right? You know, you're bent over, breathing too hard, your heart's racing. Sometimes people feel like they're dying, they go to the emergency room. And, you know, I, I don't think that's wrong. You should make sure you're okay. But they misinterpret the cues. It's scary. I, what's going on with me? I'm, there's no bear. If there was a bear here, it would all make sense. But it's just Superstore. 
you know. Um, so why am I panicking? And if you become afraid of your fear, if you become afraid of your panic and you don't go out of the house because you might panic, that's panic disorder. That's panic disorder. Um, and Natasha came up to me and she was like, Cyrus, there's this coronavirus. And I was like, oh, you know, the coronavirus, whatever. You know, it's like, it's a new flu. Come on, you know. And then, so I was kind of like, I just brushed it off. And then she's like, and then I kind of realized what she was saying. And it was kind of this, you know, the first one to panic wins. And she was like, yeah, but people might react. She was kind of, I don't know exactly what she said, but all of a sudden I caught on to what you were saying. And I was like, oh yeah, we might be quarantined. Yeah, yeah, the Ottawa Sun said, you know, start going, go uh, raid the grocery store and, and, you know, stock up on stuff. And so you read that and it was like, oh, interesting. I'm not, and then I all of a sudden started to feel the fear myself a little bit. And I was like, oh, I'm not afraid of the coronavirus. But I am afraid of people in Winnipeg a little bit, you know, like, <laughs> I'm afraid of the other people, right? You know, and, and it's the same thing with the stock market. Like, I'm not afraid that the coronavirus is actually going to, you know, infect and kill enough people to actually have an effect on the economy. But the fear of the coronavirus could destroy the economy, right? Like, if all of the planes stop flying, yeah, that'll have an effect. You know, like, that will slow down the economy. And the fear of the economy slowing down, even before the economy even slows down, the fear of the economy slowing down might crash the stocks that you have, right? So it's the fear. Now I'm afraid of the fear. I'm not afraid of the coronavirus, but I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of the people who will be afraid. It's like terrorism. It's like, like it's awful when people die because of terrorism, not making light of that at all. But it doesn't cripple a nation if you have hundreds of people dying or tens of people dying or... It doesn't cripple the nation. It's terrible for the people involved. It's terrible. It's awful. But it doesn't cripple the nation. However, the fear does. Right? Like when all the planes stop flying because, because uh, of this event, this horrific event, the fear can take down an entire nation. Right? The f so are you afraid of... Terrorism isn't meant to actually hurt people. It's meant to scare people. That's why it's called terrorism. Right? It is meant to hurt people, but it's mainly meant to create a panic disorder, a fear of fear, a fear of it, a fear of the fear. You might not be afraid of terrorism, but you're afraid like, oh my goodness, there was a terrorist attack. Everybody's going to panic, so I'm going to panic first and sell my stock, right? A sale on a TV is not dangerous, but the fear that comes with like, if I'm afraid, like, I'm not going to get the TV, I need that sale. That can cause a stampede that could kill somebody. The sale didn't kill somebody, but the fear of not getting the sale created Black Friday. Right? The fear was more dangerous than the actual event. Usually, not all the time, I mean, there are disasters that are not about the fear, like Noah's Ark. Like, that was a disaster. That was just a disaster. Like, everybody died, you know? Uh, there was no panic disorder there. It was like everybody should be worried about that one. So there are real disasters that are like, can actually cripple a world or a nation. But most of the time, the actual problem is fear. The actual thing that really hurts people is people's reaction. There's a fire in the theater. The fire's dangerous, the fire might hurt some people, but more people will be killed by the stampede out the exit than by the fire itself. 
The reality of the disaster is often not the thing that actually hurts the most people. It's the fear of the disaster. So there are both, but this is a real reality of managing the fear that we experience when there's a disaster. And that's what I want to talk about. We need to learn how to manage disaster, but we need to learn to manage primarily the fear of the disaster, which can cause more problems than the disaster itself. Which brings me to the, to the point of like, how do we talk to our children about this? Because people know it's like, well, it's the fear. Like they're not, they didn't ask me, Cyrus, how do we tell our children that they're gonna die from the coronavirus? They didn't ask me that question. They weren't worried about the kids dying from the coronavirus. It wasn't like, how do you prepare your children for death? That was not the question from the media. Because everybody in the media knew that the chances of their children dying were slim to none. However, they were saying, Cyrus, how do we help our children with the fear of the coronavirus, right? How do we, help, how do we talk to our kids so they don't get infected with this fear? And the first thing that I said to them when they asked me, there again, there was four points, now we're coming to the first point on you, if you have notes, is don't tell them. That was my first suggestion, don't tell them. We don't tell our children everything, right? What's the easiest way to keep my kid from not getting scared of the war in, the, in Somalia? Just don't tell them. They don't need to know about the war in Somalia. I don't know if there's a war in Somalia, sorry, Somalia. Like, there's, you know, like, just don't tell them about everything that's happening in the world. It's not relevant. You know, the, the crisis in Venezuela, the, um, boy, I should know more about all the crises. You know, like, the, the different things that are happening in the world, the genocides, they don't need to know about that, right? Maybe they will one day need to know, but my five and seven-year-old don't need to know about that. They don't need to know about a lot of things, so don't tell them. And boom, there's no fear of it, because they don't know. They don't know everything that's going on. It seems strange to think about it that way because everybody feels like they have a right to know everything and we need to prepare our children. That'll come later in today's talk. But one of the first things to think about is, hey, maybe they don't even need to know. Maybe they don't even need to know. Does God have people on other planets? We don't need to know. I don't need to know. He might have a whole other universe going on. He's a big God. I don't need to know, right? What if something's going wrong over there? I don't need to worry about that. He's, he's the one in control. He's got his things going on, and I'm not going to limit it. Do I believe in aliens? I don't need to even think about it. Doesn't matter. God has, God's God. I'm not going to meddle in his business. Does God keep secrets? Yes. The answer is a very clear yes. He keeps secrets. We don't know everything. Can you have a perfect theology? No. Why? Because you don't know everything. How can you create a, a perfect theology, a perfect understanding of God when you don't know everything that he's doing? It's like saying to me, Cyrus, I know everything about your business. It's like, no, you don't. You don't know all the plans I have. You don't know everything that's going on. In fact, nobody knows as much as I do about my business. I have so many pieces of information that are coming in. I have so many ideas. Nobody knows everything. Some people know more, some people know less, but nobody knows everything. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. It's his business. He tells us what he needs to, wants to. Sometimes he shares things we don't need to know, but it's up to him. He's God and we're not. He keeps secrets about the present, 
We see this when Jesus was on the earth. He's like, everybody finds out, like his disciples find out he's the Messiah. The first thing he says just about is, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be sharing that he's the Christ? No, not for the disciples, not in that moment. There was a moment in history when nobody was supposed to know beyond the disciples. And they were supposed to keep it a secret. There are revelations coming about who he is that we're not supposed to know about yet. And God sometimes keeps the future a secret. Acts 1.6 So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons. The Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. But not yet. You don't know. Present we don't know. Future we don't know. He keeps his secrets, and I think he does it for, his, for our benefit. I remember somebody saying to me, or maybe I was just, just thinking about it, I don't remember. You know, like, why do babies go to hell, Cyrus? They're so innocent. Why do babies go to hell? Did he ever say that they go to hell? I don't know. Do babies go to hell? What's the age? Is it eight? Is it six? Is it five? Is it two? Well, then I thought, what if he actually told us? What if he said, there's an algorithm, there's a, a simple mathematical calculation, and if you do this one test, you can find out how emotionally mature and how intellectually mature, and this is the time when they are considered responsible. Well, you know what some parents would do? They'd kill their kids. Oh, they're never going to go hell as long as they're four. Well, I'm going to send them to heaven right now. I don't think most parents would do that, but some might. Some might. I don't think that we're ready for that knowledge. I don't, think that, I don't think the human race is prepared for that revelation. Judgment is his for a reason. And we're supposed to have faith. We're supposed to trust. What would happen if he told us everything? It probably wouldn't be good. We would have a lot of trouble. Because there's things that are coming that we're not, not only are we not ready to do them, but we're not even ready to emotionally manage what's coming. We're not even ready to emotionally manage the knowledge of what's coming. It's mercy that he keeps a secret. Just like it's mercy that I don't tell Simeon everything. It's mercy. It's like, Simeon, I'll take care of it. Anna, I'll take care of it. You don't even need to know about it yet. You don't even need to know that you're going to have to pay for your university education. <laughs> you don't even need to worry about that yet. Don't even think about it. It was so funny. I was, at, I was with him at, we have our business, uh, he has a business now, so we have business meetings on Saturday during the day. And I taught him about small talk and how you have to start a meeting with small talk. And so we're having our meeting, because Anna has an appointment every Saturday now, so we have our meeting. And we're talking about his business. And, wait, what was I talking about? We got distracted by the fact that those meetings were so much fun. So we have these meetings, and it's just, what was I really talking about? Is anybody listening? <laughs> we don't need to tell them everything. Oh, right, he's planning. He's planning the future, university education. He's already planning how he's going to move out. He's going to buy an IKEA shed and live in the woods. You're not even ready to plan that yet. 
we start planning ahead because we don't realize, and I'm like, you don't even know what you need to know to plan that. Don't try to plan ahead. I haven't told you how, I'm trying to tell them a little bit. It's like, you know, you can rent an apartment, you know? Well, I don't have any money to rent an apartment. Well, you could stay at home for a little while to make some money to rent an apartment. He's like, I don't know. I, I need to do it myself. And it's like, you're not ready to understand this yet. You can come up with your IKEA shed plan, but it's not, you're just not ready. You know, you don't know what you need to know. And I don't really want to tell you yet. Okay, the second point. I said, so they asked, so the first thing I said on radio, uh, on TV was, don't tell them. And then the second thing I said was, tell them first. So this is a little game you have to play as a parent. Don't tell your kids about it if they don't need to know. But if they're going to find out about it, you want to be the first one to tell them. So if they go to school and there's, I think I was picking on Billy in all of my examples, poor Billy. The Billy's out there, I'm sure, are not like this, but I'm, in my mind it was Billy. When, we were, when I was a kid, Cliff said it was Jason. I'm, it's not Jason anymore. Jason's, Jason, I know a Jason is really good. So, but back then it was the Jasons were all troublemakers. Now maybe it's Billy. So I said, you know, um, so I said, if you go and your kid's going and Billy tells them about the coronavirus and how everything is going to be destroyed, it's better if you told your kids about the coronavirus first. Because your kid's going to believe Billy. And Billy's laying a foundation in your child's heart, in your child's mind. He gets to lay the foundation. And then what you have to do is you don't have to pull out the cement. You have to pull out the jackhammer. And you have to do two steps that are pretty challenging. You have to jackhammer up Billy's, and then you have to lay your own. And it's harder. You can do it. But have you ever tried? I, it is hard to convince a child that Billy is wrong. It's really tough. They see Billy as like, Billy knows everything. And how do, like, how do you even do that? It's, it's hard. So if you're going to find out, tell them first. And God does this with us. By the way, that's called the primacy effect. If you if I give you a list of numbers that you have to remember, you'll remember the first number first. We will, once it sinks in, we will remember it. Actually, if I give, it's interesting, I'll just tell you this. If, you, if I give you 10 numbers to remember, you'll remember the first one, but right afterwards, you'll actually remember the last number first. You'll, you'll remember the last number best, but then if I wait a couple hours, you will remember the first number best. So there's the recency effect, where you remember the last number, but as your mind mulls it over and time goes by and the primacy effect takes over, you'll remember the first. The first person wins. You, you want to be that first piece of information. So it's true. If you're having a conflict with somebody and there's a judge, you want to get to the judge first. You want to get there first. There'll be a recency effect, so you want, especially if there's a delayed judgment. If you're going to a judge and there's a delayed judgment. If the judgment has to make come right away, you want to be the last person to speak. If the judgment is going to take a couple weeks, then you want to be the first person to speak because they'll remember yours best. Sorry. Primacy effect. And God actually knows about the primacy effect. Isn't that interesting? How did he know about that? It's difficult for people to change their initial mindset. And the Bible warns against the primacy effect. He says in Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. He's saying, look, there's a primacy effect where you're going to believe the first person. Just don't do it. Just wait for the second person. Don't fall for the primacy effect. 
And God does the primacy effect. Now, we don't often hear it, but he's trying to tell us first. His intention is to tell us first. Amos 3, 6 to 7. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord... That's another sermon. We'll do that another certain time. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. The Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to, the ser- to his servants, the prophets. He tries to tell us first. He wants to, he's trying to be the dad who lays the foundation so that you know what's coming. So he keeps his secrets, but he tries to tell you what's coming in your life that's relevant to you first. Okay, now the third thing that I said, so I said, don't tell them. Then I said, tell them first. And then I said, don't reassure them. Don't reassure your kids, particularly kids who are prone to anxiety. If you're vulnerable to anxiety, if you're an anxious person, if your child is anxious and they, they kind of show those signs of anxiety, you want to be careful not to reassure. And what I mean by that is don't lie to them. Dad, are you going to die in the coronavirus? Ooh, how easy would it be to say, no, I'm not going to die. But the truth is, as however slight, the answer is maybe I might. There's a slight chance that I could die from the coronavirus. It's true, I could die from lots of things, including the coronavirus. I remember taking a walk with my kids. We were walking basically in a ditch in Ontario next to Natasha's uh, mom's house. And we were walking, but it looked like the woods, right? It's like the grass is high and there's like... You can see the street only a little bit, and, and they're small, and they're like, ooh, we're going into the woods. And it's like, kind of, you know, and, and uh, more of a ditch, really. But it was a walking path, and they were like, Dad, are there bears? And I said, maybe. Maybe there are bears. And then they said, you go first. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll go first. And they walked behind quite a distance. But they didn't know how far behind to walk because if they walk behind, they can see what, if the bear is going to attack me and then they have time to run away. But if they're too far back, then they're not close to dad. So they're kind of like struggling behind me, like how close to follow behind dad, who's the bait. You know, like he's going to attract the bear. But about five minutes later, they were running ahead of me again. They were running ahead of me. Don't lie. You have to be age-appropriate, and remember the first thing I said, you don't have to tell them everything. But if you're going to tell them something, tell them the truth. Because you know what happens when you lie? Dad won't die from the coronavirus. That doesn't make sense. They know it. They know it doesn't make sense. You could die. Billy's dad, Billy. Billy's dad died. You could die. Dad, are you sure you're not going to die? Yes, yes, I'm not going to die. Dad, are you sure you're not going to die? This just, it's not computing. All of a sudden, you're reassuring your child again and again and again. No, I'm not going to die. No, I'm not going to die. When you reassure somebody, it lowers their anxiety, but only for a minute. And then they want more reassurance because it felt good. It's like a hit of, well, I don't know, some kind of drug. It's like, oh, that felt good when you said you weren't going to die. But I'm still anxious. Can you give it to me again? And they get addicted to reassurance, and then you've got an anxiety disorder. They can't tolerate the anxiety. They need you. They need the drug of reassurance to help them. So what's better is to say, maybe, and then they might start to cry. And they might, Lynn, what do you do? 
say maybe, but you're, you're putting them in their anxiety. You're saying, you're, this is real. You need to learn to live in the world, and in the world, dad might die. You need to learn to tolerate this, to grow up being able to manage anxiety. So here you go. Here's a dose of anxiety. And then they start to cry. Now we get to point number four. This is how we handle the crying. I said to them, they said, how do you manage, ang- ki- uh, how do you tell your kids? I said, be calm. They said, what about a script? Maybe. The script is kind of important, but the script is way less important than how you present yourself to your children. Way less important. It's like talking to, sorry kids, it's like talking to a dog. It's like, I hate you. You know, it's like, hey, daddy loves me. You know, it's like, because I have a good loving tone of voice. And if I say, I love you, then they'll be like, they'll cringe. But I told you I loved you. It's the tone of voice. They're looking for your presence. If I took a baby, a toddler, and a parent, and a mother, and put them in a park, and and a plane flew overhead, the child's going to be like, I've never seen that before. They're going to look up at the plane, and they're not going to look at it very long because the plane isn't that interesting. You know what's interesting? Mom. They'll look at the plane, they're like, what's that? Then they'll look at mom. Why are they looking at mom? Because I don't know what that thing is. How does mom feel about this? Right? That's what they're going to say. Well, how is mom doing? And if mom's like, do, 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 then they'll be like, oh, okay, maybe it's no big deal. That's you as a parent. So if you're going to talk to your kids, first figure yourself out and then go talk to them. Maybe you need a script. But if you come up with a great script and are sweating and your heart's racing and you're whatever, they're going to be like, this is bad. This is wrong. They're going to have a problem. So you say, yes, we might die. But you say it like, yeah, it's like me when I'm walking in with them and there's a bear. It's like, maybe there's a bear, but I'm like walking, do, 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 do. I don't even break a stride. Yeah, there could be a bear. Here I go, do, do, do. And they're like, well, there could be a bear, but he doesn't look that concerned. And eventually they're running out ahead of me again. So when your kid starts to cry because you said, I might die, you comfort them. You're like, yeah, I might die. It could happen. Here, come here for a hug. It's okay. I'm not that concerned about it. Well, what would happen if I died? Mommy would take care of you. What if mommy died? Well, you know, grandma would take care of you. What if grandma died? What if, what if, what if everybody in the family died? Well, then the city would take care of you. There's a foster system. It, you know, you get your take your chances, but like, there'd be somebody. <laughs> And it's like, well, what if everybody died? Well, then you've you got a problem. You know, uh, then you're in trouble. And that would be tough. <laughs> You'd have to kind of go to, I don't know, maybe, I've watched a few zombie movies. I think you've got to go to, like, a, go to the open houses and see if scrounge around. I don't know. But I'm not too concerned about it. I'm, look at me, I'm calm. I'm not freaking out. And they're like, okay. That would be bad. Yeah, you're right. Okay. But you're not concerned. Okay. You look like you're okay. God is a God of peace. Romans 15:33. May the God of peace be with you all. I pray that the God of peace would be with you all. We are supposed to be comforted by our connection with a greater reality. 2 Corinthians 1:3 says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who 
who comforts us in our affliction. Doesn't take it away, comforts it. I think he does take it away too, but here it's like comfort. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. He comforts us so that we can actually have more capacity to comfort others. So we comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a lot of comforts. You'll have to look at that again. But basically, we get comforted by God. And we have access to this at all times, John 14, 26. But the helper, and this is, oh, this not, I think I might have put ESV. This is the amplified version, sorry. Sometimes I like the amplified. Um, but the helper, and then it says, in brackets, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, the helper, or also comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. So we actually have the comforter with us at all times. Now, the, the question when the disaster comes isn't whether the disaster, I mean, we get in, so just imagine, we have lots of disasters happening, but we don't know about most of them, so that's good. Then we have the disasters that are relevant for us, and God's trying to tell us in advance. And then when he tells us in advance, he's very honest with us. He tells us, and there's, like, if you look at the Bible, there's like verses about the horrible things that are going to happen. He's honest. It's like blunt. I'm going to cut the day short because it's going to be so horrible. Woohoo! You know, it's like, this is going to be bad. 150 chapters of the Bible devoted to telling us about the end times because he wants to tell us first. And he tells it to us straight. Kind of general and sometimes needs interpretation, but we know that it's not going to be good. And then he comforts us. And when that comes, when you have that fear, the plane flies overhead and and the question is, are you looking at the plane or do you look back at mom? What are you looking at? Right? Yeah. You got it. I'll say it again. The plane goes overhead. You're looking at the plane. Are you looking at mom? Are you following your faith? Is God your father? Or isn't he? If he's your father, the natural reaction for somebody who is a child is to look at their parent. That's the automatic reaction. You might not have that reaction yet, but I would pray that the Lord would put that reaction in your heart right now, that you would grow up in the spirit so that the father is your father, not just in name, but in reality, so that when the plane goes overhead and you see the plane, you don't have to think about it. Your natural reaction is automatically whoosh. How's dad doing? And I'm not talking about your natural dad. I'm talking about God the Father. There's a, there's a problem. How's dad doing? That should be your automatic. And if it's not, you've got to pray that the Lord would put that in you. Because that's your barometer. And he's a God of peace. And he might tell you straight. He's like, yep, terrible things are coming. And you're like, okay, but you look calm. You look calm about it. It almost looks like you're in control. It looks like you're more powerful than it. Even though the bad stuff's coming, you told me about it, you have a presence that's peaceful. And then you are comforted. You are comforted by his presence. Other times, you might just look at the plane and come to your own conclusion. You might come see the threat. And then, or look to man Whoosh, how's my neighbor doing? How's the CNN think? What does CNN think? What does Global think? Cyrus looks pretty comfortable. No, <laughs> just kidding. You'll look to men, and that's not a good barometer. 
You're not going to manage your anxiety that way. You're a child of God, and I pray that that would become deeply seated in you so that you can actually react like a child of God. The coronavirus and any other disaster, most other disasters, is not actually about the virus. It's not actually about what's happening in the earth. The issue in, about this is whether we look up to God when we face something new. God, are you, are you my father, really? Do I consider you my father in my heart? Let's stand together. If the worship team could come up. Earlier in our service, we were praying about a new thing in the spirit. And that could be exciting. It can be exciting. However, let me tell you, people don't do very well with change, right? People don't do very well with change. Even good change. Stress goes up after a wedding. It's a good thing, but it still causes stress and anxiety. It's a good thing. Father, right now, we ask that your spirit would come and you would prepare our hearts for change. In the name of Jesus. Changes in reality, changes in the physical reality, changes in spirit reality. Give us wisdom and help us to see it first. Help us to be prepared. And if we react, if it looks like, oh my goodness, what's that? Lord, help each of us here to turn quickly to you. Help us for Maple Crest, but for every area of our life, Lord, help it to become automatic. I don't want you to have to think about it. I don't want you to spend three hours agonizing and then be like, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. I want it to be automatic in the name of Jesus. I don't want you to waste any day, any time on this. I want you to go straight to him. So we say right now, in the name of Jesus, we break off trust in the world. We break off trust in ourselves and we say you trust the Lord right now in the name of Jesus. He is your parent. He is your parent. We're going to worship now again. Lord, during this worship time, seal what you're doing. Seal what you're doing in our hearts and help us to realign ourselves to see you as our comforter. To see you as our comforter as we worship let it be a time of realignment. Amen.
Let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. He is our God, He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. He is our God. He is our God. And we are the sheep of his hand. Let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Come, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. He is our God, He is our And we are the people of his pasture. He is our God. He is our God. And we are the sheep of his hand. He is our God. He is our God. And we the people of his pasture. He is our God. He is our God. And we are the sheep of his hand.
stretched out to us, Lord, that we would have wisdom to know where we're going in the Spirit as we travel, as we go to new places with you, Lord, as we go to deeper places, as we understand you more, as you reveal more to us, Lord, prepare our hearts for what you're revealing in the name of Jesus. So we just pray that for you right now. We pray that every person here would have an increase in the Spirit. And that we would be building towards that, that it wouldn't be just today, that it would be something that would continue on. Be blessed, guys. Have a great Sunday.